Okay, welcome back. You are about to listen to episode 14, season one here at Working Well. As always, I'm Declan. Josh. And today we are talking about how to make culture change actually stick. It's a tricky one. <laughs> it it's a tricky, a tricky one, one, my friend. It's um, We have a lot of workplaces that we talk to that are like, we make these, we go away and get inspired. Mm-hmm. We have these ideas. We roll with them. And then they just fall off the bandwagon. Yeah. And I think what's important to highlight here is making culture change stick is very similar in terms of difficulty and process to making human behavior change stick. Yeah. I'm just feeling into this one is this is a massive topic. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much that we can explore surrounding this one. Um, And it can be so case by case as well. So. I'd be curious to see what comes out of this discussion. Yeah, there's a couple of little really practical points that we're going to share cool. in our conversation today for to Cohen, but I do want to highlight from the start, I'm glad you just made a point of it. Culture change is not easy. Mm. Culture change does not happen overnight. Um, you know, it is something to be patient with and to uh, really lean into going, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. And if you just look at an organization is built up of however many people are in it, and you look at how hard it is to just get individuals to have behavior change that sticks. I mean, for all our listeners, how many times have you committed to a change with your health regime or you said you were going to meditate or you're going to do something differently with the kids and the family and you did it for a couple of weeks and then you slid back into old habits, right? Yeah. Change is challenging. Yep. We're going to give some tips to make it a little bit less challenging, but by no means will it make it easy. Okay. So first and foremost, making behavior change. I'm going to... I'll lead, but I'm going to throw to you, Josh, to yeah. start with like any initial thoughts that come up. It's, this is the thing. There's so many that come to mind. Um, I'm finding it yeah, challenging to like bring them down to, to a core couple that would like resonate with a lot of different organizations. But the first thing that comes up, of course, is like emotional intelligence training. Yeah. Uh, and everyone in the organization, like working on themselves and being able to recognize where they're at and communicate where they're at. And that just goes so far. And again, that is a huge topic in itself. Um, then we come back to things like, is it driven top down or bottom up, um, which we've touched on already in the yeah. podcast. Um, what else? I think as well, something that came up initially was the idea of empowering, empowering employees. Mm-hmm. I just love that whole topic. Yes. And I feel like that can have huge shifts in culture when you um, give agency to your employees. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they're the first kind of three things that I think, yeah. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head in terms of like realistically nearly every episode we've done on this season could have a role to play in making culture change stick. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like we could loop back to the ones that you talked about. We could loop back to the ver- near the very start where we talked at, you know, the VCARP model of yep. making change, you know, vision, knowledge, action, reflection, and pivot or persevere. Yeah. The values and action check-in we talked about on the last episode. Yeah. There's yeah. so much that could play into it here. Uh, in terms of sort of uh, boiling it down to a couple of things to be mindful of when it comes to leading, changing, making change stick long-term. First and foremost, we mentioned in the intro, it's be patient. Mm. You know, like a, a, a habit change or behavior change on an individual level, it's been shown by science to be up to 90 days before it sticks. Mm. That's three months. That's a whole quarter. Yeah. Right? The amount of workplaces that are going, okay, we're going to roll out these changes, and then two weeks later, they feel they haven't seen the return on investment yet or nothing's stuck yet. So they're like, okay, we need to have a different path. Yep. It's like there's so many workplaces that I think are just – tiptoeing along a path but then backtracking and changing path rather than just going that stay the course yeah 
and then to go up this path together. Mm. Right? It's going to be challenging, but it's going to be worth it. Yes. And the other one to be mindful of is I was at a conference the other day, as you know, with um, Gas Babont, and I think I'm pronouncing his name right, uh, but the previous head of innovation for Lonely Planet, okay. um, who is phenomenal. And he spoke about company culture is largely changed by how we recruit and move our team around. So what he suggested was a company's culture will be a correlation and a reflection of the individual culture of every single person on that team. Yeah. So if you have 10, to break it down to easy numbers, you have 10 people on that team, eight are quite conservative leaning, risk averse, like sticking to the status quo, that is likely going to be the culture of your organization. So trying to implement a value of innovation and disruption is going to be really, really hard to do. Yep. When eight out of your team are personally more risk averse. Yeah. And then you've got things like um, having a team of more introverted people, won't lean into difficult conversations as easily. Yeah. Won't open up so much. Yeah. There's just, again, there's just so much. Yeah. Um, when it comes to the actual nitty gritty tangibles of choosing uh, an action to write. So let's say, for example, you felt inspired after the most recent episode we did on values in action. And you're like, yep. We're going to do that. We're going to have a team meeting. We're going to choose our values. We're going to move ahead with this. On that sort of individual project scale, I do tend to recommend for workplaces to remember there's an acronym VTA, which is the same acronym that's used for individual behavior change, which is visible, trackable, and accountable. Yeah. Right. So actually, I'll throw to you first. First thoughts on those terms. It's funny because, again, I was leaning into it of being like, how can I give you something in this episode that is impactful and impactful to, you know what I mean, a wide variety of people? And the first thing, it's like awareness, yes. obviously. So it's like, are we asking the question of how everything is going? And even that is a first step. The fact that you're listening to this podcast again and you're probably thinking about it already, that's great. We're in that step one. But then I was going like, yeah, well, it comes back to the idiom of what we can measure, we can manage. Yep. And so how do we get something tangible? How do we get some sort of measurement um, of company culture? And I know we have a process for this when we come in and liaise with workplaces or consult for workplaces and it's an independent survey. And I don't know, do you want to talk more about that? or give Yeah, it so we do the full diagnostic report. Yes. So that obviously forms part, kind of in a way of all three. Yes. Right, so if we break down those three first, the visible part, there's a few components in that. You're right. Are we aware of what's going on? Yeah. Are we having the right conversations? Are we asking the right questions? I'd also say for visibility, are we leading by example? Like, can our staff see the mm. leadership team embodying this? Yes. Right? I think that's a huge visibility one because you're going to spend, your staff spend a lot of time in the workplace with you, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, is your management team actually leading by example and embodying the change? Mm. You know, if you've said to everyone, hey, it's really important to us that you, you know, let's choose some random behavior that's really important to us, um, Personal you know, accountability. That you have personal accountability and you yeah. take ownership. So yes. when something goes wrong, you put your hand up and go, hey, yes. I stuffed up on that. This is what I learned. This is what we could do differently. I'd say for visibility, is your leadership team doing that? Yeah, that's the first one I thought of. If a manager isn't owning like a mistake that he's made. How can you expect cool the value? staff to? Exactly, yeah. Right. So that's visibility. Trackability, obviously, is exactly what you said. What we measure, we can manage. We spoke in the last episode about measuring and tracking your values. Yes. You know, it's a self-scored system. Are we moving towards them or away from them? Um, and that obviously has a role to play. Mm. Um, a big part that we do for, well, I'll talk on the third one actually. So um, visibility, trackability, and accountability. Accountability being do other people outside of yourself know about this, 
preferably best practice here is, is there someone outside of the organization who can mm. hold you accountable to this? Because they don't have the vested, it's almost, you can see the forest through the trees. There's no conflict of interest. Exactly, yeah. right? Yeah. They're not reliant on giving the answer that you might want. Yes. It's like, hey, no, we're going to tell you what's actually going on here, whether you like it or not. Yeah. Um, and would you say it's a common thing that we see um, kind of over-reporting of emotional intelligence? Yes. And, yeah. Massively so. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you rely internally, obviously you're going to get some of that, especially if like, you know, this is why I say external account- accountability is best coupled with internal accountability of pairing people up and having the right team yeah. keep each other accountable. But with the external one, there's a lot to be said about they're not going to give answers because they feel their jobs are aligned on it. So what I mean by that is this is particularly a problem if you're doing staff surveys or reviews to get mm. feedback, but it's not anonymous. Yes. Straight away, I'm, if anyone listening to this, if your workplace currently does staff feedback or reviews or even client feedback and reviews that aren't anonymous, those reviews are worth nothing to you. Right? You also need They're to probably be, bullshit. You need to be careful of team size as well and yep. all sorts of stuff. If, if the employee in any form thinks that they could be identified, their answers could be identified, then they're not going to be truthful. Exactly, yeah. right? And so what that looks like, so what you hinted at before is we do a process um, called a workplace wellbeing diagnostic report. Yep. It's funny, you know, in being in the consulting space and the coaching space and helping workplaces be happier and more thriving and make a difference to their staff, we had a workplaces that come to us and go, oh, can we do leadership training? I'm like, oh, why leadership training as an mm. example? And they're like, oh, well, it's the latest trend word or the buzzword or my friend who owns this business has just done leadership training or I think my managers need some help. But it's like, okay, well, what made what led you to reach that decision? Yes. And yes. this would be the, I, I love saying to organizations we work with, this would be the equivalent of going to your doctor and be like, hey, can you cut my appendix out? <laughs> and they're like, oh, well, oh, that's the current trend. Why? Okay. It's like, well, I know my friend had his appendix out yeah. and he feels great now. Or I've just got this sort of gut instinct that maybe my appendix isn't doing what it's meant to. Yeah. There is no way in the world a doctor's going to do that. Yeah. And so we have this blanket rule now where we say, hey, we're not going to just do random training without knowing what's going on. And your appendix, aka your leadership team, could be totally fine. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, well, we've just done a surgery for no reason, which yes. is a lot of time, right? A lot of money, a lot of a lot of resources that got choked up in that when it wasn't needed. Yeah. Right? And so our approach is we say to workplaces, let's first and foremost do a diagnostic report. So we built our diagnostic report off uh, a series of different evidence-based tests and surveys. We obviously do it fully anonymously. Um, and we test basically the big three burnout, staff engagement, and staff well-being. Mm. And then under those big three, we test some of the things that contribute to that. So um, leadership and culture review, emotional intelligence reviews, things like that, yeah. that feed in to go, okay, well, where's the issue lie and what's causing the issue? Mm. And yeah, I would just to um, kind of parade our report a little bit more because I am very proud of it. Mm. There's a lot of double-blind testing in there. Yes. Yeah, it's quite in-depth, so we can get a quite clear answer and um, kind of view of how everything looks. So we can make much better recommendations instead of doing, as you just said, like, oh, the current culture trend is to do leadership training. Exactly. To, you know what I mean, have everyone doing jumping jacks every 30 minutes. Yes. Yeah. Right. And so what this means for like visibility tracking the accounting, first of all, it's visibility. You're getting the right insight to the right data. Yeah. And so obviously a big thing we do with large organizations, we've just done quite a large one recently, uh, is you can even get down to the level of, well, let's see if burnout trends are different 
based on how long someone's employed by us for. Let's see if it's different. You know, if engagement at work is different based on whether you're in management or not in management, uh, depending on what location you're working at. There's all these different data segments we can look at, which again, gives that clarity. Mm. And I think that's what's missing in a lot of ways companies try and change their culture is they're flying blind and relying on guesswork. Yeah, and I mean, our report aside, there's no reason you couldn't do this yourself in an organization if you have a well-being team or if you just want to put it together as part of the executive board. It could be something akin to the values and action check-in, a series of statements that align back to your values and just coming back again, make sure that the survey is anonymous. And with this data, then you can take it and crunch it and then make much better and clearer decisions off the back. Yes, 100%. Right? And so that's what then gives us, we make the best decisions from the visibility point. Then we go to, okay, well, how are we going to track those decisions? Mm. Right? And those changes, are they working? Are they making a difference? How do we track these quarterly, monthly? Like what's going on there? That's obviously things that we recommend as well and we can help out with. But again, like you said, there's no reason if you have the resources and the time and the education, you can do this. You can't do this yourself, right? You can jump in and do it. Of course you can. Yeah. Um, but I think that's where, you know, obviously every organization we work with, we tend to recommend, if nothing else, you do a full diagnostic report once a year. Yeah. Because then you see what's making a difference. You see if what you did that year worked or didn't work. It highlights what worked well, what didn't work well. Yeah. And it just helps you set that tone, right? Makes it, again, hits the trackability point really well. And I think it is important to repeat year on year at the same period of the year. Yes. Just to avoid seasonal changes. Yeah. Avoid changes in market. If you have a busy season versus exactly. a quiet season in your you know, in your actual market that you work in. And again, we've seen that um, in some of the organizations we've worked with where oh, this one team looked like they were extremely burnout, but in actual fact, they just like come to the end of an extremely busy crunch period for them. Yes. So there was a little bit of an over-report there. Just stuff like that needs to be taken into consideration. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think obviously that then plays into the third part of accountability, mm. right? So... Obviously, that takes care of itself with the external accountability because you've hired potentially us or someone else, by the way, you know, doing uh, this external report and this deep dive and giving you the right recommendations and action plan. Without a doubt, you know that they're going to follow up. Mm -hmm. Well, I can't say that for other companies, but I can say for us, we go, (laughs) hey, are you implementing what we spoke about? Like, don't let this be a waste of your resources. Like, do it. Right. Um, But I think internally, you can also set that accountability by communicating what's found from the visibility part yeah. to your team and making a very clear commitment that we are on a path to changing this. Yeah. Here's what we found. Here's what we're going to do about it. Exactly. Yeah. You now have the, uh, I want to say, healthy expectation of mm-hmm. the team to follow through on that. I really like the idea as well. Um, this is only applicable to certain organizations um, with, I think, a larger team size, but the forming of like a well-being committee that's mm-hmm. made up of mm-hmm. a lot of different staff, not just managers and executive board, but yeah. Yes. No. Yeah. So, you know, it doesn't really matter how big that committee is, but you want people who have a buy-in and who care about it and want to make a difference to the workplace well-being. Yep. Again, something I would be mindful of with the accountability being driven by a workplace well-being team, I think they can work exceptionally well. They can also be not effective if it's just people who are interested in well-being mm. but don't have the resources or the knowledge or the tools and strategies to actually enact change. Yes. And we see that, unfortunately, a lot. The most common place I see that is schools. Mm. You know, schools all have a well-being officer now, which is normally a teacher who's already burnt out, stressed and overwhelmed themselves yeah. saying, I care about well-being. And, you know, they're trying to do the right things, but they're, it's it's like, hey, I would like to sail the ship this way. And it's like, okay, cool. I don't actually know how to sail. I don't have any oars. Yeah. You know, 
I'm just kind of drifting, hoping that one day the current pushes me there. And all my sailors are exhausted. And- exactly, <laughs> right? And so I think there's a lot to be said about workplace wellbeing teams can be incredibly effective. Yeah. We work with them frequently to help them upskill. Yeah. But they do need to be upskilled. Yeah. Right? Yeah, great point. And so, yeah, to sort of summarize and highlight, if you're looking at any culture change, I mean, first and foremost, be patient. Yes. All right. Secondly, if you can implement that acronym of VTA, so visible, trackable, accountable, mm. and just use it as a mental check. Like I've done it sometimes with changes we've rolled out. Is this actually that visible? Actually, it's not. Okay, we need to do something there. Are we tracking this? Okay, or do we just talk about it once? Helps you calibrate. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, and if people can do that more, you know, just combine patience with, with visibility, trackability, accountability, I think would see a lot more success in having culture change actually stick and last and overcome challenges and curveballs. Nice. Okay, and as always, at the end of the episode, throwing to you, Mr. Josh, main thing you hope people take away from that? Um, that was great. I really enjoyed this episode, to be honest, because, um, again, it's kind of sharpened up my own uh, stick. Or whatever you want whatever to, we want to call it, axe, sword, <laughs> stick, mind. Uh, definitely the VTA because at the start again, um, as I always say, like I just sit down. Um, Declan usually does a bit of research on these, and I just come in kind of as his. What do you think, Josh? Kind of guinea pig. Um, and I was kind of like, mm, I really want to give an answer that is um, applicable to everybody, and it's kind of just that one takeaway that you can apply to almost all situations. And I think VTA just nails that. Mm-hmm. Being able to apply that to even small decisions up to larger decisions and that idea of calibration. So if you test, yeah, visible, trackable and accountable, um, are like, does this choice, does this committee, does this project, does this whatever meet those three things? Um, I think that's a really powerful question you can ask. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And, you know, a big thing which I didn't actually intend, it was sort of a nice, pleasant surprise of this show. The more we spoke about this um episode in particular, and this topic in particular, was sharing with people more about what we're doing with the research and development and the the uh, staff well-being and workplace uh, yeah. well-being diagnostic reports. Yes. And so I think that's a really important thing to hammer home for our listeners. If you're listening to that going, man, my workplace would benefit from that so much. Yeah. Like, as I said, there's a part in there where I say, we consult for organizations and go, if you do nothing else, like if you don't work with us in any way, shape, or form, or get any other external consultants. And if you've got a very limited workplace wellbeing budget, ironically, we're going to be talking about budget in the next episodes. But if you do have a bit of a limited one, you're like, oh, I, don't, I just don't know if I can afford this. At bare minimum, just start by getting those reports. Yeah. Get a full workplace wellbeing diagnostic report once a year. Write it off on your tax. You're good to go on it. Um, it's becoming more and more frequent now that this is a mandatory requirement for OHS. Mm-hmm. So part of occupational health and safety is the mental health and well-being of your team and the thriving of your team. So this is a nice way to show that you're upholding that. You know, to tick that box, but then do more than tick the box. Actually, make guided and strategic action. Yeah, and more and more we're finding it's kind of crazy um, the depth that you can pull from these reports. Mm-hmm. Just recently, we've been working with an organisation where we, we've we've continued to revisit the report, and we just every time we sit down with it, it's like, oh, there's there's more to take away here. Um, yeah, we're just really proud of what we built. I think. Yeah, and so I think you know, for us, we wanted to make sure that this was something available to really all businesses. Mm-hmm. You know, we've. You know, if you're sitting there thinking, oh, God, you know, is this going to cost me 10, 15, 20 grand to get a report? 
don't worry, it's very unlikely that it will unless you're an organization with thousands of employees and tons of complexity, Yes. right? So I want to highlight here, this is something that every business should be doing. And if you're sitting there going, my workplace needs this or my business needs this, I'd definitely be uh, keen to find out more about it and get you know all the details so I can move forward with the right uh, type of diagnostic report for yourself, then make sure you do follow the links in the show notes. Uh, check out some more details on our website and just connect with us to have that initial workplace wellbeing scoping meeting that's complimentary. It's a nice place to sit down, have a look at your team, have a look at your organization and make some recommendations on what the best course of action and the best report would be for you to help you get that visibility, trackability and accountability that we spoke about throughout this episode. But other than that, as always, make sure you implement something you learned today. Make sure you reach out to us. Uh, And if you're loving the show, make sure you subscribe, share, and review it. Until the next time we talk, thanks for joining us.